0: This Mental Floss podcast is brought to you by the all new season of Adam Ruins Everything, premiering tonight, Tuesday, August 23rd at 10 9 Central on True TV.
1: I'm Jeff Rubin. Welcome to Misconceptions from Mental Flaws presented by Adam Runes Everything on True TV. Today, we are discussing going green and sustainability with Jeff Wilson, a man who also is sometimes known as Professor Dumpster. Professor,
0: welcome to the show. Look forward to talking trash, Jeff.
1: Now, I guess it's kind of the obvious question right off the bat why are you sometimes known as Professor Dumpster?
0: Well, I did a uh, experiment, you might call it, uh, where I lived on my college campus uh, for a year uh, and what ended up being a modified uh, yet used trash dumpster.
1: And this is while you were a student or or while you were teaching?
0: This was why I was not only teaching but uh, a dean at the university as well. What university was this? So this was called Houston Tillotson University. It's a small school in Austin. It's a historically black college and university there, an HBCU. I see. And why did you do this? Well, um, you know, the initial experiment was around uh, minimalism. Uh, So, you know, it actually started out a lot crazier than sort of what it evolved into. My initial idea was to get rid of everything. And by everything, I mean my uh, clothes, all of my possessions, my eyeglasses, all forms of identification, all connections to any sorts of bank accounts. Um, and then, uh, just start with a raw dumpster and see what it would take to sort of work my way back into society. Uh, of course, you know, given all of the privilege, uh, that I guess I would enjoy by the way I look in the education I had. Uh, but that was how the experiment started. So the whole idea of living in a dumpster as kind of a sustainability experiment, uh, you know, seemed quite sane to me. <laughs>
1: and, what were you uh, discussing and teaching at school that kind of put your thoughts
0: in this zone in the first place? Well, I was a uh, environmental science professor, um, so I was uh, you know teaching some about sustainability. Uh, my particular focus was environmental health, but you know it was as much about sort of the dazed and confused look on my students' eyes when you know, talking about sort of traditional uh, climate change topics. And I, you know, I'd know i been thinking a while, I want to do something to mix it up that may be uh, a little bit more interesting uh, and experiential uh, that could pull students in a bit more. And the, the dumpster ended up doing that for sure. It literally, actually, in some cases, there were some students that actually would stay in the dumpster when I had a night off. Wait, you had nights off? I had nights off. So I didn't lock myself into a dumpster 24-7, 365. Uh, I had to maintain my travel and sort of job and family responsibilities. So uh, the nights that I was not in the dumpster, I uh, would sign other folks or students up to stay in there. So I think we counted around 270 or so nights that I actually slept uh, in the dumpster. But Everything that I owned in terms of stuff I would normally keep in my house, that stayed in the dumpster the entire time. So it was almost like I was Airbnb-ing it out when I was away.
1: What is it about you know, environmental sciences and sustainability that kind of led you to this idea of uh, you know, living in a dumpster? Like, what are the problems you were trying to solve there?
0: Well, um, you know, one of the things we were thinking about was just sheer volume of space that people use. Um, And typically we we don't think about volumes. We think about square feet. So the average new American home today is somewhere around 2,500 square feet. Uh, Back in 1950, it was closer to 950 square feet. So that, you know, even though uh, the family, the average size of a family has grown smaller since the 1950s, Uh, markedly, uh, you know, we've seen a massive increase in the amount of space that we use up. So that obviously has some environmental, uh, you know, sort of implications. And, you know, when we looked at the square footage of the dumpster, it actually works out to about 1% the size of the average new American home. So we set this objective of, hey, why don't we use this whole 1% thing, not necessarily, you know, the the 1% that was being protested down on Wall Street, uh, but a a 1% of – could we have a new 1% of using 1% the energy, water, and creating 1% the waste of the sort of average American?
1: So what are some of the implications of everyone using – this must this much space, because I feel like when we talk about going green and when we talk about the environment, you th- you hear about recycling and, you know, uh, turning the water off while you brush your teeth and things like that. And I, I, I don't know that I've ever heard the idea of just how much volume you're taking up uh, associated with going green. So what are the implications there?
0: Well, I mean, there's the obvious ones that you've got a larger volume to air condition. You're going to need more energy, you know, assuming that all the insulative factors are the same and the climate's the same and everything else is the same. You're obviously just going to need to use more energy to uh, to air condition or heat uh, that environment. Um, You know, then you start thinking about all the additional furniture you need uh, in that space and sort of what part of. the landfill, that ends up in Um, the lighting, uh, the whole sort of the the water energy nexus. So when you start looking at having to move all of that water around over a much broader footprint, well, that takes a lot of energy. Um, (laughs) So, you know, there are a lot of things we can do by just sort of going smaller. I mean, I do want to say at this point uh, in the conversation that, yeah, yeah, this is a radical experiment. And, you know, nobody's perfect. So if I were to claim to be, you know, dumpster no impact man, and you know, not had uh, any impact on the environment. You know, a lot of this stuff is displaced. I had an office that I would spend the day in. That was a big dean's office. You know, I had a car that wasn't necessarily energy efficient. Uh, this was just one part of my life. The part that was usually taken up by a house, and I had a three thousand square foot house. Uh, I guess prior to living in the dumpster. Uh, it was just around that specific part of the experiment and you know, it also was – and I've gotten this a few times that you know, Professor Dumpster is corrupting uh, – this liberal professor is corrupting our youth by suggesting that they all move into dumpsters and I would never do that. I, I'm suggesting that they all move into recycling bins because dumpsters are uh, you know, probably too large and wasteful.
1: Right so if I'm understanding this correctly it's not like literally this was uh, an experiment for how we could live in the future but rather an experiment to see you know what we could live without and like what kind of gains we could make and sort of things you might find if you tried to live in 1/100th one of the of the uh, an apartment one 100th the size is that is that correct
0: yeah that's right and you know what happens when you move out to these extremities um, sort of on both ends of the bell curve uh, it brings things into very sharp focus. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you just wouldn't think about even living in a micro unit, say 400 square feet or so, uh, that when you're in 33 square feet, uh, they, they, they become very apparent.
1: (laughs) Well, what, what are some of those issues?
0: Well, um, you know, one of those things is, uh, around design, uh... you know when when you look at very small spaces and sort of some of the things that folks do uh... and 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 design into spaces or the lack of that design into spaces um, it it comes into much sharper focus so you know for instance uh... the bed uh... i had a uh... futon that i folded up everyday and uh then folded down. It seems like something that would be somewhat trivial, but when you've done it for about the two hundredth day uh it begins to get a little old. Uh that's one of the things that, you know, dealing with the bed is something that we sort of brought into the next experiment that I, I think we'll probably talk about in a little bit, uh, casita, but also things just like water and water transport. So, you know, I I got all of my water uh for the first six months, uh all the water that I used in the home, um about a mi- a little over a mile down the hill. So particularly in the middle of the summer, uh, going down there with five gallon buckets and hauling them a mile up the hill, you begin to appreciate a little bit more about you know what happens when you flush once and three gallons goes down the drain.
1: Yeah. Um, also, I've been to uh, I've been to Austin in the
0: summer and it gets pretty hot. <laughs> yeah, particularly in you know a, a metal box with no insulation. I we did track the temperature uh, throughout the year at about one minute intervals, and I. Th- think our peak was in early august of that year inside the dumpster i think it was about 133 degrees so i definitely wasn't hanging out in there uh with the windows shut uh during that time of the day <laughs>
1: are we currently the lives we are living the lives i'm leading like you know, I, I try to be mindful of these things. I recycle. Um, I, I live in New York, so it's easy not to own a car and I take public transportation. Um, but you know, I mean, even when we do these things that like we hear about, are, are we sustainable? Like we're, what we're currently doing, not sustainable, correct?
0: Yeah. And you know, it, behavior change is the hardest thing. Nobody's going to look at a guy living in a dumpster and say probably much besides it's a little bit crazy, right? They're probably not going to go home and immediately, uh, sell their place and move into a smaller space. I think, you know, a lot of this stuff is really at the, a more meta level and, you know, urban planning, uh, you know, New York, as I understand it is the most energy efficient, uh, city on the planet. Uh, because of what you just said, right? Uh, the, the density and uh, the amount of folks that are, you're able to move around and, and do work and condition their spaces, uh, it, it's incredible there. If we could build more cities like New York, um, even down here in Texas, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think once you started to roll those things up to more of a meta level, you could do some really interesting things. And then, you know, there, there's all the technology Happening uh, as well uh, around what Tesla is doing, um, the, the, the hyperloop sort of experiment that's coming around, um, some of the developments in uh, materials, uh, and then what's just kind of going on out in Silicon Valley. I think we we need more of that application to environmental concerns.
1: Right. So our current day to day lives basically not sustainable. Right. Like you, but you think it's within reach like is is, is it feasible is there is there hope i guess is my
0: question i believe there is uh you know i i think one of the issues that we have as humans is that we're just not very well wired uh to understand consequences that aren't right Mm -hmm. before us right so and that you don't have a lot of data points so you know you go out into the woods and um you know You are told that in the next 200 years, somebody walking down this trail uh, is going to get attacked by a bear. And actually in 200 years, you know – Eight out of ten people are going to be, uh, you know, walking down this trail and uh, get killed b- by a bear. Well, you know, if if you don't see uh, that happening, and there's some nice berries down that trail, and uh, you know you're able to kind of scoot up and down it without any of those worries in the short term, you're probably going to keep doing it. And so, uh, you know, when when you tell folks that, like, look. Uh, in 300 years, the temperature is going to raise by whatever 0. 0.7 degrees Celsius, and parts of Florida that maybe you don't care much for anyways are going to be underwater. You know, most folks just aren't willing to make a big behavior change. You know, just based on the way that we're wired. Um, I think that if there there is going to be hope. That we're going to have to start pulling together resources and ideas uh, from some spaces that we haven't necessarily been looking Um And some places that have been very successful. And I, I, I think the venture world, the innovation uh, that's coming out of Silicon Valley right now, I think there are some big opportunities to, to leverage that towards uh, some environmental gains.
1: All right, I wanna go back inside this dumpster and learn what kind of gains we can get out of this. I'm trying to really picture it like, first of all, where's the dumpster from? Where does one obtain a dumpster that you're <laughs> gonna live in? Because presumably you want it free of, cleaned from garbage uh, before you move in, right?
0: Yeah. So we felt like that would be cheating. Um, we got a company, uh, named Texas disposal systems, uh, a strange enough group of guys, uh, in that, you know, they own a landfill. They own a lot of dumpsters and dump trucks, but they happen to have sort of zebras and giraffes and rhinos and things kicking around on, uh, right next to their landfill. So already a little bit crazy, uh, went to them and said, look, want to live in a dumpster for a year. They said, sounds great. Uh, We're going to take you guys on a home shopping tour. So they went and picked out 10 uh, dumpsters, all 10 cubic yarders, and lined them up. And my students and I literally went and gave them the sniff test. And uh, we ended up picking uh, one that had a slight hint of barbecue, Uh, at least according to my girlfriend, uh, cleaned it out, gave it, uh, some testing to make sure there weren't any nasties in there before I moved in and, uh, yeah, moved in with some cardboard on the floor. So we sourced it from, uh, you know, somebody that really knew dumpsters, some guys that owned a landfill.
1: (laughs) I guess they know dumpsters. And where did you move it? You said it was on top of, it was a mile uphill from the water, but like, where, where was that?
0: Well, so that was an interesting conversation. You know, I had taken this job uh, as a dean and a professor at this university, and then I had to sort of broach this difficult subject with them that uh, I had an idea and was moving forward on this idea of living in a dumpster. And I'd really love to put it uh, on the campus so I could get rid of my car and uh, reduce my commute. And uh, that was a very interesting conversation, as you might uh, guess, with the president. They, uh, in the end, decided to let me do it uh, and put me uh, on the back corner of campus, sort of back behind the women's residence halls. So uh, I I told the president, you know, this was pretty much going to go off as the creepiest professor in history, not only hanging out behind the women's residence halls, but in a dumpster.
1: Yeah. Living in a dumpster (laughs) Gets even creepier when you say living in a dumpster behind the women's residence halls. Like it's good you leave that out. Usually, you're not Professor Dumpster behind the women's residence halls.
0: Yeah, it was not my choice, uh, <laughs> but that's where it ended up being. So, uh,
1: yeah. How much time was there between? You know, you know, it might be an interesting experiment. Let's live in a dumpster to like you know move-in day.
0: I think I brought that up in December, and then move in day was in february so pretty quick. Uh, it It was pretty quick, and what was interesting, <laughs> particularly were the sort of legal documents that the university's you know legal counsel had to draft up. Uh, around this, I'm sure that law firm uh, probably raised a couple of eyebrows when they, you know, got the request to draft up uh, legal documents protecting the university from, you know, a dumpster getting picked, uh, a professor living in a dumpster that could get picked up by a garbage truck or right, right, struck yeah. by lightning, whatever it might be.
1: Well, what what did you bring with you? What are the uh, personal items that made it uh, into this, you know, smaller living area?
0: So. Uh, I needed a way to get rid of all my stuff Um, so what I did was posted on Facebook that I'm selling everything for a dollar except for one backpack of stuff out of my home Um, and uh, here's the address not a maybe a a dangerous thing to do as a professor mid semester and come by at six o'clock and everything will go for a dollar an item so an hour later uh, literally the whole house had been cleaned out and uh, I walked out of there with a back Pack of stuff. So uh, it was winter uh, in Texas, so gets down to the upper 20s. So had a little bit of warm winter wear, a couple of books that I decided to keep, um, a few little trinkets uh, and a, a few changes of clothes, and just went with it. Um, so yeah, uh, not not a whole lot of stuff, as you might imagine. Not a whole lot of room when you're when you're downsizing like that.
1: Were you at all nervous as you moved in there, like, that you were doing this insane thing? I don't know. I mean, one is, are you nervous that you're going to actually get picked up by the dump truck and, like, something insane like that happens? But two is that just, I don't know. I don't, were you nervous? And if, I guess if so, what about
0: so the the first thing to take care of was the actual uh yeah the dump truck problem you know that because I was about twenty feet uh from sort of the normal dumpsters uh, and learned very uh quickly that the the dump trucks came by on Wednesdays and Fridays at about four o seven a m <laughs> to pick up my neighbor so we we uh there, there are a couple things called the uh, pockets on the side where they, they pick up these dumpsters. So we welded those closed so it would be very difficult uh, to pick it up. Um, and then the other stuff, you know, I guess psychologically I had been thinking about this experiment for about two and a half years and was actually ready to just get on with it. And the, the folks that I had been talking to about moving a dumpster were were ready for me to get on with it as well. So the, the psychological stuff – uh you know didn't have too much of an effect but the physical did uh you know you learn very quickly like how accustomed we are to conditioned environments you know whether it being 27 degrees inside the dumpster uh raining through the roof um hot in the summer uh issues with mosquitoes uh yeah there there are a lot of things that you you, you take Uh, for granted, just in the conditioned space realm.
1: I got to ask, going back, we didn't really discuss your background much. Have you ever done anything like this? Like, did you have a history of, uh, you know, stunts, maybe we could say, uh, in like high school or anything like that?
0: No, not really. Um, You know, I've done a couple of experiments uh, like this both before and since, but I also, I always kind of had a thing with... Uh, you know, I remember in the late 90s sort of making this promise to myself that if I couldn't fit everything into my pickup truck, then I had too much stuff. And I guess th- I made it about another eight or nine years uh, up into kind of my early mid-30s before I started acquiring a lot more stuff. Um, and, and just prior to the dumpster, about four or five months prior to that, I had um, gone on a date – uh, that was kind of a minimalist date where I, my, my girlfriend or someone I had just met went and I went on a trip from Istanbul to London with, um, only the stuff in our pockets. So with no baggage, Wait,
1: Uh, you went, the date wasn't the trip. You met someone on a date and then you went on the trip.
0: Well, so we met online. Um, we went on one or two dates and then I said, uh, to her, Hey, I'm going on this trip this. Uh, I'm going on this trip this summer. I'm going to fly into Istanbul with no reservations and no luggage. Uh, this is how I usually travel. Um, and then uh, three weeks later, I've got a ticket out of London. I don't really know what's going to happen in between. And uh, she said, "I'll go," but I'm bringing luggage. Uh, it's crazy enough that I'm going with some guy that I just met online. Uh, and then the night before, she just decided to ditch all her luggage. So that actually uh you know is going to end up as a film now Shailene Woodley's play my girlfriend uh there's a book that Who's she was playing w- you I don't know yet are you uh, are you game as your agent contacted you <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, I don't like to audition for stuff like that. I, I like to be reached out for. Uh, that is a this story is a, a, a true a true can of worms that we just don't have time to open today because we got to talk about the dumpster. But what yeah. like the three? What, what, what that's a whole other thing. We don't have time to talk about that. That's crazy. So you with someone you had just been on two dates. You just been on two dates with uh, went to Istanbul. Already crazy enough. Neither of you had any luggage and. Or reservations and you just spent three weeks making your way to London, I guess.
0: Yeah, we, you know, hitchhiked, boated, kind of, you know, yeah, it's it's actually, you know, along a similar vein with the dumpster. You know, ultimately, the big lesson of that whole dumpster thing was that, you know, my life was a lot better you know if you if you took the net net of everything and you know and, and and that's why i've traveled that way for a while with you know only the stuff in my pockets you're just a lot more free to sort of move around and navigate you know, again, acknowledging and always acknowledging, like you know, I've got a PhD, I have a job, I'm a white male born in America. There's a lot of privileges uh, that have to be acknowledged, but you know, when you when you move past that, uh, you know, it. it, it, it it's an, it, it provides for a more interesting experience when you have less stuff and less things that you're, you're tethered to. So, yeah, we're still together, uh, Clara and I, uh, about three years later. You know, this kind of idea of stunt – um, that's come up a lot uh, in that you know these must be some sort of uh, personal branding uh, you know stunts to get attention And you know what's weird is, through both of these experiments, you know, we never once reached out to any sort of press or did any sort of self-promotion on it. Folks just kind of found out about the experiments and then got interested. And you know, we're both asked all the time, like, you know, who's your PR person? How do you get so much kind of buzz? And we say, look, we're, you know, we're just doing things uh, that we think are kind of real and authentic and interesting. And if folks think they are, great. If they don't, fine.
1: I gotta ask one question about the trip, uh but then we gotta go back to dumpster because that really okay. is a whole other podcast, but just I guess the most obvious question is like laundry, like you're just wearing the same clothes every day. How often did you wash your clothes if at all?
0: uh, she washed more than I did <laughs> you know it's it's called a sink. You just sort of take your stuff off, put it in the sink, and dry your stuff, you know, like I guess they did in the old school, so um she washed. Uh, probably every day to two days. I washed probably every four or five days. Um, so, uh, she did have an extra, she didn't <laughs> carry an extra pair of underwear. Uh, but besides that, we didn't really. How luxurious. Uh, a yeah. pair of underwear. Yeah, I mean, did she have to it, check that or? Yeah, it was almost, it was almost like carrying an extra couple of bags. Uh, <laughs>
1: so. okay. Back to the dumpster uh night one you 're in the dumpster is there what are you like? Is there something you realize that you hadn't considered? why 't we do that first night
0: yeah uh, well i mean the the most surprising thing uh that first night came at about four in the morning you know when you hear a garbage truck pulling up and then, you know, it's not a quiet ordeal. And it was nerve wracking till the very end. It's something you just don't sleep through when you hear your neighbors being picked up, you know, and kind of all of the garbage thrust uh, into this machine that then crunches it. Um, So that was one thing that I hadn't really uh, thought about. Um, And also, I I guess just light. Um, I had a little bit of a headlamp, but, you know, you're used to having your environment lit a little bit more. And, you know, the other thing was uh, that was really interesting about the dumpster and that kind of came to mind, I guess, the first night is you had that experience of camping to where, you know, you've got this very thin couple millimeters piece of fabric between you and the outside environment, which makes you sort of vulnerable to that environment. But you also feel really connected. You hear all the noises you hear the wind and feel the wind, uh, but you don't feel all that secure. Uh, you know, and then in a typical house, you're so well sealed off from the rest of the environment. Um, and, and we spend so much time indoors in either our cars or inside of our homes or garages. We actually spend more time in indoor environments than whales spend fully submerged under the water. And we become to get, we, you know, we become sealed off, right? And so in the dumpster, you had like the security of being in a home because nobody was going to break into a, a, a steel box that was locked from the inside. Um, but you also felt really connected to the outdoors. So that was one of the things that I, that was really kind of a unexpected pleasure of the whole thing.
1: Was Was there ever a point where you like, uh, I don't think I'm going to make it? Or you, from night one, you were like, yeah, I can do this for a year.
0: Um, I think the pinnacle came uh, of me just being sick and tired of it was uh, in early August. So I moved in, I think February 4th, and uh, we were going to give it eight months till I got electricity. Um, Uh, in the dumpster so that would have been I guess August 4th so I think August 1st or 2nd you know temperatures were triple digits in Texas Um, the mosquitoes had really caught on so like sleeping in a dumpster when it's like 90 degrees at midnight with high humidity under you know kind of pinned under a mosquito net uh, with no wind uh, that was about the end of it and then to catch Cap it off. One of my friends came by with a pellet gun, and from the street started pinging uh, the dumpster with pellets <laughs> that very same night. So that's when I when I almost uh, had it. There were some other experiences that uh, were a little bit, I guess, dodgier than that one. But that was probably the pinnacle of me being done with the experiment.
1: Do you think the, the previous experience with the trip gave you uh, any confidence to be like, no, I'm actually pretty good at doing these crazy things that a lot of people wouldn't want to do?
0: Yeah, I think it, I think it did. Uh, but I think also just a general mentality of wanting to test the limits of, okay, if you trim all of the fat, you know, fat being uh, stuff. Uh, things, volumes, uh, you know, mortgages, uh, leases, all this stuff that we kind of tether ourselves to are folks that have the opportunity to tether themselves to. A lot of folks uh, don't ever have the opportunity to actually have that stuff. You know, we, we enter into this, uh, this thing that a British uh, author, um, James Wallman, calls suffocation. Uh, to where you know you just got all this stuff. Whether you're you're traveling with two roller bags um, and a backpack, or whether you're living in a three thousand square foot home. Uh, with all this stuff, you know, I really like the idea of seeing what happens when you sort of shed all of that stuff off and it just examining what happened. And, you know, in both those instances, uh, my girlfriend and I had an amazing trip. We've done four other trips like that since. Um, we're still together as of this morning, at least when I left the house. That's probably
1: the ultimate test of uh, a relationship is that trip.
0: Yeah, I think Mark Twain has some sort of joke, you know, if you want to learn about what you what you really hate about someone, then travel with them. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. would add to that, travel with them with, with absolutely no baggage and, and you'll really learn what you hate about them and maybe what you love.
1: Uh, okay, walk me through – uh, the dumpster. I, I'm still actually having some trouble imagining it. Just, uh, just to start, like, how do you get in it? Because dumpsters don't have doors. Because <laughs> you're not meant to live in them.
0: Yeah. So first off, uh, this is a, a style of dumpster that is typical uh, down in the South and Southwest and on the West Coast. And so you have to imagine first of all what it what it looks like. So it is literally uh, a box, a cube um, that is sort of six feet. Uh, By five and a half feet on its base. And then uh, the interior dimension of the, I actually had a really high ceiling uh, to start off. I think it was about six foot nine inches on the interior. So you've got this uh, essentially a 33 square foot box. It ends up being 10 cubic yards at a volume. Uh, It's thin gauge steel. Uh, It had a plastic roof that kind of flaps open. Um, Um, And then on each side, uh, you had uh, conveniently doors that kind of started halfway up it. Uh, So it was sort of like pulling open a sort of sliding door slash window. So you had to hop up about three feet to get through this window. And that was my entrance and exit, uh, my sort of front door, if you will, for the entire uh, experiment. Uh, It was painted green. It was pretty banged up because it had been in use for probably a couple of years, and the interior of it was rusty uh, sort of in, until we cleaned and, and, and painted it.
1: I guess the next most obvious question, what's the bathroom situation?
0: Well, and that, that was an uh, issue. Um, I ended up getting a key to the gym, um, had a little portable toilet uh, in the dumpster that I tried for a while, but ended up just what real- What is a busy.
1: portable toilet?
0: Well, it's one of those things. It's a camping toilet, right? So you, you it's got some liquid in it uh, that sort of takes care of the odor. Um, it's got a little flip top on it. That lasted about one day until uh, right. I decided I didn't want to use that, and I'd rather just walk or run to the gym, which was about twenty <laughs> yards away. And you know, the 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 inability to find a eco or any solution in that small of a space for a toilet and a shower was one of the things that sort of inspired uh, the design for my next experiment, right, which is a, the Casita tiny home thing I'm doing now, was just the, the lack of the ability to find a solution for that. So we never had a toilet in the dumpster. Um, you know, I had access to a gym facility, a, a shared facility.
1: And then I guess what was there? There's a mosquito net.
0: Yeah. So initially it evolved, right? So we started with a rusty steel box. I threw uh, some cardboard on the floor and slept on that for a little while. Uh, Eventually a guy came along uh, uh, from the Bay Area, a friend of mine named Greg Clone. He put in a, a floor. Uh, that also had compartments in it, kind of like a boat that allowed me to, that was essentially a floor closet for everything. Uh, so we, you're like,
1: li- you're walking on a false floor that you can open, store things in, you can open it up.
0: That's right. It that's had pretty had clever. It had little compartments in there. Uh, we added a little like flip down furniture, uh, the ceiling. Uh, we ended up putting a pitched roof on it. Uh, that on some garage door sliders, so you could actually slide and air out the dumpster. Or- look at the stars at night. I see. Uh, So
1: this is, these are all improvements over the course of the year. You didn't start with these, you moved in and then you were like, oh, you know, maybe we could put some furniture on the wall or whatever. And, and these were gradual improvements.
0: Exactly. So it evolved and it evolved to a point that once we got electricity, um, and, and once we got electricity, we supplemented, uh, the solar, uh, the small solar portable lights that we had, uh, with a, uh, with a led, bulb um and a air conditioner um so that was a very nice addition in august to have an air conditioner in the unit
1: right i mean it seems almost it seems almost necessary
0: yeah yeah it uh it was definitely difficult sleeping in there in the in the middle of the uh summer or even being in there at all during the day
1: uh did you have anything for like entertainment you mentioned books
0: yeah. One thing that was good about being back there behind the residence halls is I could steal Wi-Fi off of the dorms. So if I had the roof open and one of the windows open, I could get a pretty good uh, w- Wi-Fi signal uh, and you know, watch uh, – do a little bit of Netflixing uh, on uh, an iPad. Um, but that was that was pretty much it for entertainment. We got an Xbox near the end of the uh, experiment, but I'm 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 not very clever on the Xbox, so that was more for folks uh, that use the dumpster after I moved out.
1: Well, what was the Xbox hooked up to? I guess a laptop.
0: We had a little wall mounted, uh, television set, actually, uh, LCD, uh, television set inside the dumpster mounted on one of the walls. So you could so you you could lay on the futon and, uh, you know, play Xbox to your heart's content. And
1: where were you getting power from?
0: Uh, we were getting power, uh, a just long extension cord that went over to kind of the maintenance shed, uh on campus uh we did have and uh they do have now some solar panels on it that are providing some of the power but it's a big it's a big issue right being able to just run an air conditioner uh is is something that's very difficult to do off just solar power particularly when you've only got 36 feet of roof space uh you know for solar cells
1: right right so this was an experiment. What did you learn from the experiment at the end of it?
0: You know, the biggest takeaway from the whole thing was uh, that, you know, even at a very radical scale like this, um, at the net balance, your, your life can actually improve. And, wh- you know, what do I mean by that? So um, first off, my commute – Went from about thirty-five minutes uh, one way a day down to a one-minute walk.
1: But that's Um, this is a pretty exceptional situation you had, where you're like had this dumpster set up at your office, you know, like it was on on campus.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you have to say everything about this experiment is exceptional. I (laughs) I wouldn't really recommend even after this experiment that anybody move into a dumpster. But Um, but I guess
1: the, the lesson is that. Uh, if you're willing to live in a smaller place, you can be closer to what you need slash want to be near.
0: Exactly. So going micro, you might say, can allow you to, um, you know, so in that case, get in a better location, however you define better, whether that's closer to work or, you know, I, I was also that campus is in kind of the hippest part of East Austin, sort of the, you know, Bushwick, if you will, of, of Austin. Um, you also uh, – I had the opportunity to move my dumpster. So like for South by Southwest Eco, we moved the dumpster uh, downtown. So the ability to not be tethered to a specific place, the city really became my living room. So sort of the coffee shops um the, the the bars, the sort of public spaces, the parks of really became a lot more of my my experience rather than having a big living room that I sat in all the time. And then the sheer affordability of it, right? By by moving into a smaller space uh, you can have a more affordable situation. So luckily, uh, I, I actually had a really affordable situation that the university didn't charge me rent, uh, nor did the dumpster company uh, for the year that I was in there. I think they may have, you know, the landlord may have raised the rent if I would have stayed longer than a year. But all those things combined and then just having less stuff where you really own your stuff, it doesn't own you, all that stuff combined really that 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 entire – uh, sort of regression ended up with a uh, sort of dependent variable of having a better life, uh, even though it was in a 33 square foot steel box.
1: And was there something you really missed, like you know some some earthly pleasure that you uh, really missed while you were living in your box?
0: Well, it would have been nice to have at least a toilet <laughs> very close by. Uh, it would have been nice to have a space uh, to, to sit and uh, think, um, uh, you know, a, even a regular kind of uh, desk. But uh, you know, and have a fully kind of conditioned space, uh, that that goes a very uh, long way. So, you know, my sort of favorite things are uh, chocolate,, uh, tequila, and, uh, coffee. And really the only thing that I managed to be able to do in the dumpster, uh, was make, uh, a little bit of coffee. The other two things didn't really work. <laughs> right, right. kind of, kind of, <laughs> of ruined them.
1: What about food? Are you just eating at the, the dining halls or whatever?
0: Yeah, so I spent a lot more time uh, eating out and eating around the city, uh, which was great. Um, You know, in the dumpster, I pretty much relegated myself to cooking breakfast, a little bit of pasta now and then and and Turkish coffee, uh, the, the sort of dumpster delight, if you will.
1: Austin, also for those that haven't been there, great food town. Lots of great food to explore in Austin. That must have been fun.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. And the the food scene on the east side where the dumpster is located is really blowing up. And, you know, it's one of those things of just shifting. You know, living smaller doesn't necessarily, you know, mean, mean – that you're living a more miserable life. Actually, you know, I think the opposite is true. And so I really like to eat out by having a smaller place. Uh, You know, you can save a little bit on rent and shift that money around other things that you enjoy.
1: So we have kind of teased this a little bit, but you did take some of the lessons that you learned about sustainability from the dumpster and you have now uh, you're trying to scale it into something new. And that is called what?
0: It's called Casita. So uh, Casita means little house in Spanish. We we spell it with a K instead of a C, and it, we're essentially trying to revolutionize housing uh, through a mass no big deal. manufactured, <laughs> pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty low bar we've set. Yeah, for us pretty to house. low bar, right? I mean, our our ultimate goal is to produce an, a, a solution for affordable housing in our largest cities. It has nothing to do with dumpsters, nothing to do with containers. Uh, They're 320 square foot prefab units. Uh, that you will be able to own uh, for a fraction of what you pay in rent in most of these cities. Um, so I left the university uh, after getting some inspiration from living smaller in the dumpster, um, went and raised some money, now have about 20 people, uh, you know, working at this company called Casita, um, and we will actually be coming to New York by late next year.
1: So these are dumpster-like, but not dumpster, like, boxes that are homes that you sell people? Like, do they come in a building? Do I move it somewhere? Like, what, what... Um, tr- right. Help, me, help so, me visualize it.
0: They're not really in dumpsters uh, like dumpsters in any way. Sorry. Uh, they are designed uh, to be almost like an iPhone that you could live in. They're really beautiful. They're designed by an industrial designer. They're steel and glass. They're uh, 10 times larger than the dumpster, so they're about 320 square feet. Uh, they have smart tech throughout them. And because we mass manufacture them, we can get the cost down on them Uh Uh, To a very low price. They also stack so it allows to get a lot of density. Uh, Unlike any other kind of tiny home, they stack in this kind of wine rack structure. Um, So we're really excited about taking the inspiration from the dumpster, which what we really took was living smaller can get you in a better location and save you some money, Uh, and also going at this from an industrial design perspective, having people think about their house more like a product than this stick and brick built structure. uh, on a space that never moves.
1: So you've got this, uh, you're, you're scaling it up, and there's this play where uh, it's cost less because you're scaling it. But is there a, a sustainability element of it too, like in addition to all of these monetary and convenience benefits?
0: Yeah, of course. So uh, the units are insulated to a higher standard uh, than a typical home would be. Uh, there's also a smart glass. Uh, a lot of the uh, you know radiative load that our houses uh, experience uh, that you know causes to air condition them. Um, is, you know, comes through glass, right? So this glass in the casita, it's got this big glass cube mounted on the front of it, is dynamic glass that blocks out uh, 99% of that radiation. So you can say, hey, casita, glass, go black. And that will go down to, you know, only letting 1% of the radiation through. Um, We eventually want to get these casitas to lead platinum level, Ah, uh, they're not at this point, uh, but th- that is the aim, and we have some some architects on the team uh, that are very experienced in that realm.
1: How do you? I mean, I see what you're saying. I see the vision. Makes a lot of sense, and I think it's cool and interesting that like the environmental benefits aren't even really the reason to get it. That's like number like it's like and also it'd be nice for them, right. but it's got these other things too. Um, what is what's what's like the most? But how do you? How do you get a foothold in revolutionizing domiciles, you know, like this like basic human thing that we've kind of been doing the same way for most of recorded history, you know?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's the same question you'd ask about taxicabs like ten years ago, right? Or ask about communication uh, twenty-five years ago, before the internet. You know, the housing is the largest industry uh, that really hasn't been to use a very tech kind of term disrupted. It's two point four trillion dollar industry. The last massive innovation in multifamily housing was probably skyscrapers built. You're right, Jeff, in the in the eight. 18- 80s in Chicago when they invented an elevator and did the first 10 floor what they call the skyscraper you know there really hasn't been you know, we've been using the same style of thinking and the same way of doing this since then and it's gotten us into this hole. Right, I mean affordability uh, isn't really a crisis anymore. It's a catastrophe when you when you're paying three thousand six hundred dollars for a studio apartment in some of our cities now to rent. uh, Something new needs to happen, Um, and who knows, it might come out of a dumpster. Right, right.
1: Is there anything? uh, Is there anything like any lessons from you know living micro? Let's say. I think there's something interesting to what you're doing, but I'm not quite willing to move just yet. Are there any lessons that I can take from that and and apply to my life and maybe I can lead a more sustainable life uh, just on a day-to-day basis?
0: You know, I think it's getting into this mindset of experimentation, right? You don't have to put your house on the market right after you listen to the show and, uh, you know, go searching for tiny houses or dumpsters. But, you know, it might be interesting if you went on your next vacation and stayed for a week in a place that's half the size of what you have um, or a month and and, and see how that feels or, uh, you know set aside. I've seen an experiment where you box up everything in your room and you only take out the things that you use for the next six months and leave those outside the box. So I think that whole attitude and idea of sort of experimentation uh, can go a long way because you can always go back to the way you were doing it if your life doesn't improve.
1: Right, right. And it seems like, again, not everyone has to go and live in a, this, in a smaller house. But if we all lived in smaller houses, that would be more sustainable.
0: Yeah, I think once you start rolling those things up, then uh, you, 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 start, you start to see the needle move.
1: Is this somewhere where you think something is going to have to happen because, you know, at the current trajectory is just not sustainable?
0: Yeah, I think things are going. Something is going to have to happen because something is happening, uh, you know, with with the climate and where things are moving down our current path. And this is really when you think about all the other sort of choices that folks have to make. You know, the the idea of getting rid of your car or stopping, you know, stopping to eat sugar or meat or walking an extra four blocks to the recycling center you know, moving into a space that is the size of the space that you would actually use. It doesn't, you know, seem like as big of a ask. And if enough people, I think do that experiment with it first and then make that decision, you know, again, we could see the needle move.
1: I know, I know it's going to, it's, these are abstract. So like, I'm just, this is more of a thought experiment that I'm looking for a definitive answer. But, uh, all the things that people who, you know, love the environment and they recycle and they try, maybe they try to eat less meat or whatever it is. Maybe they try to eat no meat. And these day-to-day things we do uh, that, like, you know, most people who are concerned about the environment do. Uh, if you roll those all up, do, is the impact of all of those anywhere near, like, what, would, what it would be like if we all just lived in these smaller houses?
0: I doubt it. I think the impact of all those things would probably be greater. You know, if you got the world's population to move to a plant-based diet, it, it would probably be bigger than a, an, an impact. I've never calculated that. Yeah, it, I mean, an it's, interesting it's, a, it's a magical study. question anyway. Yeah, you know, it's like- a magical question, but, you know, it's, it's sort of looking for whatever that low hanging fruit is in terms of behavior change. Right. And one of the things that's really great about sort of downsizing is very few people Quote, relapse, right? There's that book that was on the New York Times bestseller list forever, uh, the Marie Kondo book about the life changing magic of tidying up. You know, she claims that if people really follow her system of downsizing uh, their stuff, that they she's never had a relapse. And I'll say myself, I did that. I used that book even after I moved into the dumpster. And (laughs) I
1: cut my. You lay out your like seven t shirts. (laughs) Yeah. Which of these doesn't
0: bring me joy? It's crazy. I, ended up cutting the stuff in half and i haven't gone back i mean right now i live in a 400 square foot apartment i share it with my girlfriend here in austin and uh i have three pairs of pants i have three shirts and i'm pretty damn happy about it now hold
1: Uh, on you've got a pair of pants for every shirt you have i feel like i have three pairs of pants i'm not even trying to try to get rid of them i feel like you need less pants than shirts that's all i'm saying here
0: yeah, maybe the pant to shirt ratio. Yeah, needs
1: I'd say get rid, of, get rid of one, maybe even two of those pants. Get an extra shirt or two. You get through the week without doing
0: laundry then. Hey, man, you know what? There's the things you learn on radio. <laughs> right, right.
1: Uh, well, Jeff, really interesting. I really feel like it's a, a, a dimension of being eco-friendly that a lot of people just like it isn't even on their radar. So it's really interesting to hear about it and hear you pushing it forward. Uh, where can people learn more about your work?
0: So dumpsterproject.org uh, is uh, – we, we're continuing that experiment. If you're an environmental educator um, or if you do work in sustainability, you can even apply to stay a night in the dumpster. Um, Which the, it's still set up. It's still set up. It's when was this? I work.
1: actually don't know that we covered that. When, when were you staying there?
0: Uh, So I moved out about a year and a half ago. I think it was February 4th, 2015. So it's
1: still set up, not occupied every night, but if it's something you're interested in, you actually can go stay there.
0: Yeah, folks stay there all the time. So you can actually apply uh, to stay there on our website. Um, And then Casita is just uh, Casita with a K, K K-S-I-T-A dot com. And then we've got various social channels uh, at Casita and at Dumpster Project. Cool. Jeff, thanks so much for talking this afternoon. Hey, it was a blast. Thanks so much. And, uh, you know, next time you walk by a dumpster up there in uh, New York where you are, give it a kick and uh, maybe I'll pop out and say hi. <laughs> I, don't
1: know, I don't know if in New York you're going to do that, but uh, <laughs> I'll give it a try anyway. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, buddy.
0: This Mental Floss podcast was brought to you by the all-new episode of Adam Ruins Everything, premiering tonight, Tuesday, August 23rd at 10:9 central on True TV.